Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock from MCG Quantity Surveyors. Today, I've got a really important interview, I think, where we're talking about the affordability problem with housing. Rental affordability has been in the media for quite some time. A lot of investors have left the market, which has left rental affordability a national concern. And today I'm talking to an absolute guru who's very passionate about trying to solve the affordable housing problem. I'm speaking to Simon Peters from 360 Collective. He is a successful property investor and developer himself. I talked to him about his construction background, what affordable housing actually means, the types of projects that he's bringing to the market and trying to get local councils and governments behind what he's trying to do and how you might be able to be involved yourself as well. He's extremely energized in this space and I think he's going to do some great good in the space and hopefully we see a lot of people replicating what Simon's uh, able to do and solve this affordable housing crisis and rental accommodation crisis. Here's Simon. Simon Peters, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. My pleasure. My pleasure, Mike. Yeah, happy to be here, mate. Um, yeah, exciting time. Exciting time of the year as well coming, coming up to Christmas. So looking forward to the break. Absolutely. I think we all are. It's been been a hell of a year. Now, I've been really excited to get you on um, the show because we're, we're talking about something, uh, I suppose, a little bit different from the norm. And it kind of, it plugs into some of the comments from the recent budgets uh, speech where the, the Treasurer is talking about we've got this housing issue and we really need to look to the private sector to be able to solve it. So obviously they're not going to be getting back into the public housing business. So uh, I'm really looking forward to, to chatting uh, to you about that. But, but before we dive into that, can you give us a bit of an idea about your property and construction uh, background, Simon? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's a lot to talk about today, so we'll try and keep it keep it short but in in in, uh, in effect i started out as a building laborer on a building site um in new zealand oh, when i was about 18 years old so sort of had a lot of experience uh just from the ground up so really just tying steel digging holes um you know and just making sure that um i was learning everything along the way and eventually got into the sort of supervision side of the the building we were doing a lot of commercial property uh warehouses factories you know um uh, civil work and then um yeah pretty much was just a labourer's hammer hand and then ended up supervising sites and building retirement uh, villages and all sorts of stuff. And um, and then from there, I was always thinking about how can I, um, you know, I always wanted to do more, I always wanted to grow and uh, got got myself a little property and did a splitter, what you call a splitter in Australia, cut yep. the land off the back of a house and, and started my property development career. Yep. And from there, obviously, you've had a tremendous amount of success with that. But what made you kind of transition to wanting to be able to give back to society with your area of expertise in the construction and development and financing space? Well, look, I'm always one that loves innovation. I'm always thinking about how we can solve problems. Being a property developer, you're always solving problems. The whole life is filled with you know things that spring up that you didn't expect. Expect the unexpected is what I learned. So solving the unexpected is the key to success, or one of the keys to success in development. And um, I say a sad story. My wife passed away with breast cancer um, a year and a half ago. And during the few years while we were going through that process, um, I really got to a place where I just I realised there was a lot more to life than just doing development, making money, and all the rest of it, which is all fantastic. You know, nothing against any of that, and we have to do that to be successful and to grow. So, 
I was really thinking what I really wanted to do with life. I, I sort of like, who am I? What do I really want to do? What am I good at? And what can I offer the world? The Japanese ikigai um, circles I, I, I did, which was a process over about six months. And I came to the, the point of realizing, you know, I wanted to do more. And I realized that I could offer more in the space that I'm already, uh, you know, expertised in. And um, I got to realizing and knowing and seeing around people that didn't have homes, didn't have housing, especially women over 50 um, that were, were, were divorced or, you know, they'd left their husbands or their husbands, their families had ended, their children had grown up. And I was like, well, there's a really big cohort here that haven't been looked after. You know, they're, they're living in caravan parks and, and that sort of thing. It's unsafe. What can I do about that? What can I bring to the table based on my experience? And so um, that's how I really got into the space. And now I'm just super passionate about it. It's, it's pretty much everything I want to do for the rest of my life. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, wow. Well, that's a that's a big motivator. And you you touched on you know the demographic of certainly women. You know, fifty plus. This is you know one of the things that when we talk about homelessness, we have kind of a bit of a stereotype that these are maybe people that have made the wrong choices. Maybe they're subject to you know addictions and those sorts of things. But the reality is that many of these um, people uh, are not like that. They just might have uh, not necessarily had the the super balance that their partner has had and become separated and the cost of living pressures have been absolutely crazy and I think the rental crisis has got quite a lot longer to run. That led you to sort of um, form the 360 Collective. So can you talk us through a little bit about um, how that works and, and how you, you're, you're looking to solve that problem? Sure. It, well, it's a bit unusual. So um, when I did that Ikigai process, I, I got to the point where you end up with a sort of focus of circle in the middle, and that's where you should spend 98% of your time. I got there and I was like, okay, how does this look? <laughs> so I, had to, I asked myself the question, how does this look? And I didn't have the answer. But the answer came to me and I thought, well, I don't really believe that corporations are going to be a long-term animal that survives, you know, the world in, in 100 years, you know. I think... Yep. The basis of 360 is about the potential of a human being. How do you extract or how do you help or support a person to be their absolute best and live their best life? And quite honestly, 360 is really founded on that. And if you ask anybody in our organisation or people join it, they, they're quite amazed by how we think about things and how we look after our, our people and what we are there to do, which is to serve our community. So it's really founded on bringing the best out of you. And if you are doing something that's not really what you're passionate about, I encourage everyone to, to change and to find that. So 360 isn't a, a, it's a company, but it's not structured like that. We have like partners, um, associates, you know, junior partners. And their goal is to build um, verticals within the business. It doesn't matter what you do in terms of the business, although we are focused on property, uh, but it could cover anything. Um, but if you've got the right mindset, right mentality, and you really want to make a difference, um, we're here to support you if you're part of 360 in your growth journey. It's a personal growth journey. It's a, it's a life growth journey. It's a business growth journey. Um, it's entrepreneurial. Uh, it's a success. It's financial. It covers every aspect. And, and the team at 360 are there for each other. That's really what we are. Yeah, awesome. And when it comes to solving that affordable rental accommodation problem, how, how are you guys tackling that um, head on? And something that I've seen you talk about a lot is is this uh, triple bottom line. Can you explain that for us as well? Yeah, well, I, I love the triple bottom line because it, it embodies pretty much what we are doing, which is, you know, social, economic and environmental benefits. So everything we do in terms of development, construction, property work is we think about how can we do a better job with the environment? How can we improve environmentally 
uh, in terms of how we handle our construction and materials, um, what types of methodologies we use to build. Um, and we think about the social difference that we're making. So we really are out there. That's our core is how can we make a difference socially, which is obviously in this space, affordable housing. Um, and then we also um, have to make money because we're a private enterprise. We, we don't get any government funding or state funding or federal funding. And we are, we're not asking for any. We don't want any. We want to be private. We want to, we want to say we can make a difference. We don't need to have um, handouts to do that. And, and so we, we put our minds to that innovation and go, well, how can we do a better job? And in saying that, our investors that join us have to make good profits because if they don't, they'll put their money in another place and make some good profits, and so they should. So our goal is to make our investors uh, good returns for their investment. And when I say uh, economically, people that um, rent our properties, um, also we're helping them economically because we're affordable. Yeah. And what's the modern definition of affordable rental accommodation in, in this day and age? And how do you how do you run what is essentially a, a business and make sure that you're still on target for delivering that affordable product because obviously um there'd be shareholders that'd be thinking well there's a temptation to just up the rents by 100 bucks because the market can absorb it so how do you balance those two sort of very different things in concert that's a really good question i think quite deeply about that and i also talked to the team about how do we how do we sort of justify our our, our role and, and our claim to be affordable and that's important um if you look at it and you look at what other people are doing and we have that most of them are saying it's based on a percentage of, of income. Um, we, we look at what an area is affordable in Sydney is different to affordable in, in, uh, in the Gold Coast or in Brisbane or, you know, in a country town. So what we say is that affordable for us is to bring housing at the lowest point in the market in terms of its cost. So in other words, if, you're, if your rentals are X, Y, Z a week for, you know, 99% of the properties, we're at the 1% bottom. We're not yes. going to try and base it on income. Uh, I think that's that's probably a flawed model. I think that at the end of the day, if people aren't able to find accommodation, uh, there's no supply and they aren't able to move into things because they can't afford it, our job is to provide that. And and you're right, we're not looking to provide um, we're not looking to provide that sort of last resort housing. That's not us. Although we do intend to build a charity around that eventually, um, and, and there's a lot to be th thought about there, but. Our job is to bring affordability to those that can't find anything else that works for them. Yeah. And when we're talking about affordable housing, I mean, what does that look like kind of structurally? Are we talking, you know, high density? Are we talking, you know, houses on small lots? I mean, the typical idea about um, the most affordable things is this community style or boarding house style property. But most people that I um, know are investing in that sort of property because of the yields rather than the affordability, right? So what, what are we talking about exactly there? Well, um, boarding house style properties is, is really, there's a modern boarding house. And yes, we are in that space. So we are providing, we're, we're providing a variety. So, you know, community is actually the number one point you just made then. You've got to be able to build a community. And if you can't build that community, you know, you, you end up, you're doing it with a so-called sort of slum landlord type scenario. And we don't want to be that, obviously we do think carefully about how can we provide variety of products. So some of the products are quite small. It's 20 square metres. It's a studio, um, but it's fully furnished. You know, you get your power, electricity, telco, high-speed internet, all of that sort of thing. And some of the product we're bringing into the market, um, uh, it will be more like apartment-style living. So it, it needs to be a mix. And also, 
we're finding it difficult with some of the councils. So one of the councils in particular, we've struggled to get their head around what they've actually zoned land for and allow us to build affordable housing. So it's an education thing for people as well. You know, we've got to help everybody understand what that really means and what our target demographic is. So it needs to be a mix. You can't just do one style of housing. Uh, we've got a project in Toowoomba that we're doing SDA. Um, you know, is that affordable? Well, it's affordable for those tenants or it's specifically designed for those types of tenants, you know. Um, that does have government support, not to us, but to the tenants. What, When it comes to talking about government support, what made you think that the answer is is more likely to come from the private sector or, or at least you feel like you could make much more of a difference than perhaps joining a community housing provider or pitching the government for funding on a, on a, you know, on a financing model? That's come from my own experience. So back in New Zealand, we used to build um, government housing. Housing. We actually did projects for Housing New Zealand, um, which is the government model. So we, we bought land, we built houses, we did apartments, we did a whole range of products. And in, and in the end, uh, we got absolutely crushed by one of the big projects that we put in together in Auckland City in 1997. So way back then, that's, that's how old I am. Um, so and the, the government, uh, there was an Asian fi- uh, currency crisis and... We had a $30 million project back then, and it was the largest project that Housing New Zealand had ever done in the centre of Auckland City, and they were moving people out of Parnell, which is the most expensive suburb in Auckland, down into the ex-railway yards, and we had a big project there, and we'd spent a year and a million dollars on it to put it together. The CEO of Housing New Zealand was in our boardroom saying they're going to go ahead. However, it went into went into Parliament, and the government said, we're saving $300 million and cancelling a whole lot of things, and they cancelled that project. Um, oh, wow. And it absolutely crushed us back then. We'd invested a lot of money. We'd been led along believing it was going to happen. The government just turned around and changed it. Um, oh. So I, I, we really got a big lesson. And my lesson back then is like when you're dealing with um, institutions like that in terms of governments and what have you, politics can play a big role in, in success or failure. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to pick on any particular government because they're all the same. Yeah. Um, so I, I realise that, you know, really to have something that's got longevity to it and it's not driven by uh, anything political, it needs to be driven by, to be quite frank, it needs to be driven by investors making money. And, yeah. that's, the, and that's the private sector. So I thought, well, let's see if we can do something in that sector, in this affordable housing space, and actually not ask anybody for money other than make returns for investors. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if that that can work, and it's not about you know, uh, I guess a a bleeding heart style pitch, you know, invest with us and get two percent return where you could be getting six percent, but you're actually doing something good. Imagine if you could still get that six percent return and do the good as well. Right now, you're talking about um, sophisticated investors or institutional investors, but do you see a point in time where your your quintessential mum and dad investors could be involved in 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 these projects? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. Well, I would love mum and dad investors to be involved. The ASIC um, restrictions around that or the, the laws around that are extremely tight and for good reasons. You know, nobody wants to see mum and dad investors lose all their savings, which, you know, you see those stories and that is a that is a bleeding heart um, uh, issue. And I, we don't want to be responsible for people's money if we're not looking after it properly. The regulations are designed to make sure that that's done 
well. And if we were to do that, you'd have to have a, a retail fund structure. And yes, that's that's down the track. Once we get to scale, I mean, I'd love to see everybody that wants to invest to be able to participate. And where are you up to in terms of the construction uh, pipeline and the projects and delivery and those sorts of things at, at the moment? Well, um, we're growing. So we've, we've been in this place for probably two years now. Um, and we've got one project that's virtually just getting its our first project getting its approval right now. We just got notification from the council, and it hasn't hasn't been easy. It's taken us a year to get something that's code accessible. In in layman's terms, that means it's zoned for what you want to do. It's taken a year of going through council processes because of the politics behind it. We believe they'll never admit to that, but you know I think they see that we're we're going to be a slum landlord and putting a big boarding house in the suburb, not thinking about what we're actually doing to solve a major problem which is actually what our goal is. I think once we get past that, we'll, we'll be able to prove to people and councils that we're doing an amazing job and we've got amazing places where people really want to live in. So now we've currently got about 300 rooms under um, under contract or settled or in, you know, in the process of getting a DA and designed. Our goal is to have 500 rooms a year um, for 10 years. It's, you know, it's 5,000 rooms. Yeah, wow. And, and you know, like... In terms of your business itself, you know, this is something that I guess other people can replicate as a model and that could make a huge difference. Do you, do you sort of think you you will be making a, a pretty significant uh, impact to, to social housing across Australia if you can deliver those sorts of volumes? Absolutely. That, and that's our absolute goal. We also want to show other um, private companies that it can be done and it can be profitable. I believe that if we do a good job of this, and that's our intention, uh, and everything we think about is how we do a good job of this, we'll be able to show a pathway where you don't need to involve any government or institutions. I mean, institutions in terms of large-scale investors, we definitely want to build. Uh, we're building products that are scalable and something that it's institutional grade, which means you can get, you know, super funds and whatever you invest. They've got benchmarks to meet. If we can meet those benchmarks and show them that we've got a great model um, and it's unlimited because there's an unlimited demand for this this type of product um it's, it's a great diversified space for any institution to invest in so that that's our task is to prove that we've got a model that anyone can do um and we welcome anybody to to be on the same pathway because yeah, the country awesome. needs tens of thousands of these yeah that's the thing i i wanted to ask you you know in your view what is the current state of uh, affairs when it comes to affordable accommodation because you know you're, you're solving a problem that the government has right like right now we're having the the round table over energy prices but you know housing affordability is a perennial subject it, to traditionally it's always been about you know first home buyers not being able to get into the market and that's something that of course we aspire to as Australians as we think it's important for people to own their homes as distinct from say other countries but when it comes to rental affordability that's not something that's discussed as much but it has sort of come up on the agenda in the last little while because you know rents have been flat for nearly a decade and then suddenly we see this huge increase which makes sense when you see the disincentivization for property investors with a million different things I could go on for an hour talking about that. <laughs> How would you describe the lay of the land when it comes to affordable housing and the interplay between your mum and dad investors owning an investment property, you know, the build to rent uh, emerging sector, the government stuff and the private stuff? What? Give us a bit of a, a, a tour of, of, of the, the locations. Well, it's quite a complex question. There's so many things in there to, to discuss. I'll try and keep that down to simple terms. Um, look, the, the landscape has 
a variety of options and I think that's important you know there's no one simple answer so when you when you look at uh, the you know the issue around affordable housing you know land prices have skyrocketed land supplies behind that um, demographic changes is behind that how people want to live and where they want to live is behind that you know it's you can't we can't say hey this council this government just didn't do a good enough job I mean it's 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 just such a complex puzzle but in, in the end, I know that Australia and New Zealand the same has a tradition of, of, of government provided accommodation and that's reduced dramatically. Now, I can't quote the stats, but it's dramatically reduced. Um, in the last few years, I did see some statistics in uh, southeast Queensland where something like 60% of investors sold their properties um, to private, you know, private people, which yeah. has created a massive uh, supply issue for rentals. Um, yep. At the same time, uh, 53,000 people apparently moved up here in Queen, to Queensland, where we are at the moment, <clears throat> last year. I will say we're looking at being nationwide, not just Queensland, but we're starting here because this is where our base is. And, you know, that's another major supply uh, or constraint in terms of, you know, the supply. So, you know, pushing and pulling the market, supply and demand is constantly shifting and moving. So all, all I really think is that if you are able to go out there and do your bit, if you're the government, you do your bit, if you're a, uh, a not-for-profit, you do your bit, and they all are. Um, if you're a private enterprise and you think you can do your bit, do it. And yep. I suppose, you know, that's that's the goal. I mean, it, it's a community. We're a community. We're a country of good people that actually deep down, and this is something that goes right back to 360s philosophy. It's really important. The core is, I believe, every human has unlimited potential. Our job as a team is to help that human in our team and outside of our team unleash that power. I absolutely believe that that's where the real potential lies. It's not in rules, regulations, um, institutions. It's in individuals unleashing their absolute basic human potential, which is unlimited. And I think we can solve any problem. Yeah, that's that's a that's a pretty pretty grand uh, mission to be part of, and I can see why that energizes you so much. And if you think about your your individual, that's let's say just an average person outside of um, three sixty. You know, how can you reach your potential when you're you're subjected to that financial stress? You know that you know, 50, 60 percent of your your expenses are, are going on living. You're you're more in a survival mindset. So th there's something bigger than just providing housing, right? There's potentially efficiency gains um, across the country if we can solve this problem, right? Absolutely. Look. And unleashing human potential actually gives the country a better outcome because suddenly, like you said, and that is the major issue, if people don't feel safe, if they don't feel like they've got you know, a roof over their heads, if they don't feel like they can feed their families, they're, they are in fight or flight. And so many people live in that mode. So you, it's impossible to unleash your potential when you're surviving. And, and that's currently where a lot of people are at. Um, so, you know, the more we can do as a community, as a team, as individuals uh, to help people move past that phase uh, and into the the phase where they feel safe and they feel secure and they've got a roof over their heads, they've got enough food on their table, th then they're able to do more and provide more for others as well. So, you know, you know, I suppose being, you know, philanthropic or doing things or thinking about the, the greater world can only really come if you pass that fight or flight mode. Mm. Now you're talking about you know hundreds of hundreds of homes or, or let's say doors you know 500 doors a year for for 10 years 
that would make a huge difference, of course, but the problem is still way bigger than that. What 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 is the what's falling down now at the moment? You you referenced the kind of the idea that the local councils with their development control plans and their DA assessments are, are worried about this slum landlord phenomenon. Is it just about proving that the private sector has a solution to this, and then the councils are sort of getting a little bit more confidence, and we can get to a tipping point where the future is bright? Um, yeah, I I think look. As I said, I don't like picking on anybody, but counts. I reckon councils are a really big roadblock, actually, because you have you have people within them, the officers. You know, they go, they do the university degree, they end up being a town planner or whatever, um, and they they're very prescriptive. You know, like we've we've got Gensler on the one in um, Loganheim, the big project we're doing there, and they've got six thousand eight hundred staff in fifty two cities around the globe, and that council is telling them. I mean, telling them that the facade design is not good enough. Right. And and they're showing us comparisons that look like the back door of a barn. Right. And we've got multitudes of variation in that design, greenery and all sorts of stuff. They're still telling us, and they're going to give us an approval telling us this, that it's not good enough and we need to put more time into that. I'm happy to put it as much time as it takes. But there's no real, I mean, I see it prescriptive. They could say you do this, do this, do this, and that's prescriptive, right? They're not saying that, just that it doesn't look good enough. Well, how, how can you tell as a council, you know, somebody that's the largest firm in the world that has so much experience and they've done institutional-grade buildings and, you know, everything from public sector to private sector, that they, they don't know what they're doing? Like, mm. It just doesn't make sense to me. So we're up against that, and when I talk about education, you know, we sort of have to, I feel we sort of have to go into the council with the whole team, sit down and really explain it. And back in New Zealand, I did deals like that. I changed, yeah. you know, changed use of land and industrial into residential and had full council meetings. And we just about have to do that. I'm hoping to get a few good projects over the line and show them uh, the quality that we're bringing and then build a reputation. And then I want to go to other councils and go, well, hey, Council A over here loved what we did. Look at the community change. Look at the benefit it gave everybody. So why wouldn't you want to do it? So I want to build that, build that leverage build that authority and use that, use that to go, wouldn't you want to be doing the same in your area? But, you know, in, in a way, you shouldn't, I don't feel you should have to do that. <laughs> I feel that like they should be saying, hey, affordable housing is a major issue in this country. What can we do to solve it? What, yeah, developers can we get a, what developers can we get a hold of and drag them in here and show them what we are prepared to do? But no, it's like we're prescriptive. Here's the rules. Do this, do this, do this. And then you've got some ethereal rule, which is like, uh, it's nebulous. We need a certain design done. Uh, okay, what does it need to look like? Oh, here's some examples. They barn doors. We're providing yeah. something a lot better. Can't you see that? <laughs> it's yeah. frustrating. The most frustrating thing is that. It would be amazing to get to the point where the people are sort of saying, you know, how do we get 360 into our LGA? How do we attract them in? You know, like can we offer some sort of incentive to help fix our problems? But I guess you've got a bit of a long road of, uh, ahead of you, but we wish you all the best. For for people that are listening at home, uh, uh, you know, you talked about down the track there, there being the ability for mum and dad investors to, to get involved. But for people that are listening that, that do care about the affordable housing problem and the social issues that go with them, are there any ways that they can be involved? Absolutely. I mean, that's how we are growing. You know, we have to have private money coming in, wholesale investors at the stage only, um, professional investors, and they're the people that we've got behind us. And that's that's a small community and it's going to grow as our project uh, pipeline grows. Um, and, and basically just get in touch with us and we'll be happy to uh, provide you opportunities, which is what we're doing. 
Um, I work with a commercial real estate um, um, uh, project person who does a lot of advisory work in that space, and they're bringing a lot of commercial investors in because this is actually a commercial space. It's 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 a part of the commercial investment space. It's yeah. residential in flavour, but it has a risk profile of of a residential project, which is good, and but it has a commerciality of scale, which is what we need. Yeah. So just yeah, get a hold of us. We'd be happy to introduce you to opportunities. Well, we'll be following your progress uh, very excitedly uh, through the Geared for Growth Network and uh, and social media. In the meantime, Simon, we wish you all the best in that uh, mission and good on you for, for tackling something that uh, is perhaps going to put a couple more grey hairs on your head. Um, and we look forward to, to, che- to checking in with you in the future. No, thanks very much, Mike. It's such a pleasure to join you. Thank you. Thanks, Simon. <laughs>